Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 20, and my God, did it live up to expectations. What a set of fixtures we had this week. Yeah, I mean, couldn't have asked for much more. All We're going to talk about all four of the games like I kind of highlighted last week because all of them lived up to expectations. So. Yeah. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, as you can't see, I... Uh, I am in a new location. I am thousands of miles from my my from Ethan right now in Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, I am studying abroad from my normal university, Indiana, to um, Copenhagen. Uh, the school I am studying at, luckily, has a podcast studio room that is offered to us, so that's where I'm at right now. Um, but yeah, I just I landed a couple of days ago. Just moved in, met the roommates, um, learned. I, I've I've been doing a little bit of Duolingo. So mm-hmm. the Danish, I actually I like learning Danish much more than I like learning than I liked learning French because it was like the the like male female conjugations that messed me up. And Danish, they it's more like the kind of Nordic uh, tongue, Nordic uh, like dialect doesn't really have those like conjugations so oh, okay it's been much much easier for me to learn that um obviously the pronunciation is impossible for for somebody coming from uh an english background obviously it's it's like very very hard to like kind of translate like different letters mean like sounds that aren't even produced in the english language it's like completely new sound like hebrew mm-hmm. um but anyway yeah it's 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 a pretty cool city uh you know it's very picturesque so if you ever if anyone's ever feeling like coming down to Copenhagen, uh, you know where to find me. But without any any further ado, let's get right into a worst team wins update from Ethan. And the update is there is no update because for FPL this week it is a double game week, actually. So there's a mid the midweek game, the United Palace game, I believe. Mm-hmm. They're including in this game week, so I figure we might as well okay. just push that to the next podcast. And okay, that's do fine. Just double update. We'll we'll never know how much you're beating me by. <laughs> You'll never know until until you tune in next week. So it may get worse for you. So <laughs> all right, we'll move swiftly on to our first game we're covering this match week. Fulham two, Chelsea one. Uh the goals came from the likes of Willian in the 25th, Koulibaly in the 47th, and then Carlos Vinicius after the questionable, not questionable, questionable decision yeah. <laughs> from Yao Felix in the 58th minute, um, who was having a pretty impressive debut to that point. <laughs> uh, Carlos Vinicius in the 73rd gets the winner against a 10-man Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea sit firmly in 10th place while Fulham move back up the table. Yeah, for a Chelsea loss, they were surprisingly threatening. I mean, Leno yeah. had 14 saves in this game, so wow, there were yeah. times where he had to stand on his head. And yes, I know he had 14 saves because I was playing against him in fantasy, and he had like <laughs> 30-something points. Wow. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Anyway, that's beside the point. That's my own misery. Anyway, uh, yeah, Leno had to stand on his head at times in this game, and Chelsea were threatening for a large portion of the game. But obviously, once they went down to 10 men, Everything flew out the window when, you know, Yao Felix flew into, I don't even know who it was, but I... That's a it's prime Simeone tackle. Yeah. He learned a couple of things at Atletico, clearly. It wasn't, it wasn't all pointless. But I have no idea what he's thinking. He's never getting the ball. He completely leaves his feet. It's, it's a diabolical challenge. It's always a red card, 10 times yeah. out of 10. And he's ruined what was a great debut for him up until that point. He had a great start to the game. He almost had an assist for Mount after he met somebody on the wing and squared it across. I think Leno had to make another good save there. So Chelsea weren't, they weren't poor in this game. But when things aren't going well, teams find a way to lose. And they found a way to lose. Yeah, I guess it's... Absolutely, you're right. It's a mentality thing because, like, even at one-one, there are teams in this league. You know, I'll I'll go back to Arsenal. Like, 
they've had multiple instances, not necessarily of red cards, but just instances where they've had to bear down to get a result, and they've done it. It's a it's like just on pure mentality. Yeah. And Chelsea right now don't have that. Not to say that they can't, you know, at some point gain that, but right now they don't have it. And that locker room, I can't imagine what it's like. New manager, you know, struggling to grab a hold of the locker room, gain respect from his players. I, it's very unfortunate for Graham Potter, and you know I'm a, such a big Graham Potter fan. I, I, you know, as much as I prey on Chelsea's downfall on a weekly basis, I do like Graham <laughs> Potter, uh, and I, I, I hate to see him, you know, doing so poorly right now because he is a great manager. Um, I just think he needs to find his feet a little bit, and you know, it could get worse before it gets better, but I do think it'll get better at some point because. Just uh, we talked about it before. Just it's not just this performance. It's like just a string of performances. Like they got the win um, in the next match week. Thankfully, against thankful for Chelsea fans against Palace, one nothing um, at home. But one nothing lost to Man City, and that was one of their better games in the last five. Yeah. They were the most threatening. I, I would say they're more threatening in that game than they were against Fulham. Um, but one nothing to Nottingham Forest, like. Uh, two nothing win against Bournemouth, where I mean, nice, nice win, but it, it didn't look as convincing, and I don't think any Chelsea fans are really disagreeing with me on that one. Um, I, I mean, it's it's no shock, and nobody's really disagreeing with the fact that they're in not a crisis right now, and we'll get to the Mudrick thing in a second, but mm. they certainly need some kind of spark, and they're getting completely handcuffed by injuries. Yeah. Um. Mm. To the point where it's going to be even more of a headache for Graham Potter once he gets his full complement of players yeah. back. Um, but not only his full complement of players, but now he's getting a $100 million signing um, in Mudrick. And that, that was a very, very odd transfer saga. And, yeah. you know, in the last couple of years, as an Arsenal fan, from an Arsenal perspective, in the last couple of years when we've missed out on players, I'm thinking back to, like, Awar, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Vlahovic. Mm-hmm. Like, it just seemed like, can't believe we missed out on that guy. We're going to regret that. As an Arsenal fan right now, I have full faith in the scouting team, in the management, in the front office, that if they, if they were haggling it down to 80 because the dude, were, they just can't put 100 million on this guy, and Chelsea comes in and is like, we'll pay 100 million. Like, I think Arsenal, like that's fine. Mudrick obviously is a good player. It'd mm-hmm. be nice to have um, as a reinforcement. But if he's not worth a hundred million, he's not worth a hundred million. Like I, I agree that if you don't really believe in his valuation, get out of there. They, they've done so well getting value from other places. God's sake, Odegaard is was thirty five million. He's playing like you know prime Kaka. Like I just, I. Fully, as an Arsenal fan, I fully agree. If if that was truly what it was, it was just we can't pay a hundred million. We're sorry. We'd love the player. We like who he is. We just can't pay the money. And they backed out stole, solely because of being stubborn. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think Arteta already commented on the Mudrick thing, saying like, "Listen, our transfer policy is we're not getting into these like high valuation bidding wars. We're not doing that." The same thing happened with Rafinha. With the whole Arsenal, Barca, Chelsea love triangle. Like, Arsenal said, like, listen, we're not getting in bidding wars. And they've stuck with that transfer policy with Mudrick. They said, we offer 95 million, including add-ons. They offer the 100. We're not willing to go that high. It's as simple yeah. as that. But I don't want to get too far into the Arsenal realm of things. And I do briefly mm-hmm. want to give Fulham some credit for this win. Yes, because yeah, please. No Mitrovic for Fulham. Yeah. And they still pulled out the win. So if there was any debate about this being a one-man team and Mitrovic carrying this team to victory, Fulham proved those doubters wrong because Carlos Vinicius was the one to grab the winner in this one after a yeah. fantastic cross from uh, per, uh, Andreas Pereira, where, again, sim- <clears throat> again similar to the uh, Man City game, Kepa caught in absolute no-man's land. But... Mm. Fulham deserve so much credit for this win against Chelsea. Even against a 10-man Chelsea, Chelsea were still threatening and still difficult to break down. 
and they did so superbly. So they're now sitting in sixth, I believe, or seventh, possibly. Yeah, sixth. Sixth. Wow. I, there's a the I think the there's anywhere between eighteen, nineteen, and twenty games for the teams in there. So there's some makeup games, but yeah, I yeah. think they sit in sixth. I think we may have to cancel the annual Fulham Norwich uh, swap <laughs> this year. I wouldn't get ahead of ourselves. Uh, I do want to give credit to Willian as well because he, not just in this game, he was superb, but he has been just one of the driving forces of this Fulham team that now sits sixth. And I, cer- I as an Arsenal fan that has watched Willian be, you know, a pedestrian for, you know, a year at our club, uh, I am beyond impressed with the turnaround he's made he seems genuinely unplayable right now on the left wing he's taking on his prime he looks not like prime william but he's like just like vintage william you know like same thing with di maria at the world cup di maria wasn't prime di maria at the world cup but he was vintage di maria like he was isolating wingbacks cutting out to his right playing incisive balls playing good crosses like Credit to Fulham, credit to Marco Silva, credit to William. Like at this age, to be producing like that in the Premier League after basically playing like shit for three years, I I, I give him all the credit in the world because he's been very, very good for Fulham and is part of the reason they're so, uh, you know, they've had such a good run of form recently. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to our first derby of the weekend, first of two. Or first of three, because Fulham Chelsea. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> Manchester United two, Manchester City one. Manchester United get three points again at home. Uh, I believe that was your score prediction, Ethan. Two one. Yeah, United two one. <laughs> did you? Did you? I, I I can't remember exactly whether you said you know a comeback win or. A... I don't think I specified. To be fair, um, I definitely didn't predict them to win in this fashion. But yeah. hey, two one. Prediction came true. <laughs> Score opens with Jack Grealish in the 60th, and then the dirty double, as Spencer FC would say, Bruno Fernandez in the 78th, and then Marcus Rashford in the 87, 82nd. Now, the, before we get into the team performances, let's get into this argument, this debate that has been just tearing up Twitter over the last couple of days. The Bruno Fernandez goal in the 78th minute. Is it offside? I have no idea how it wasn't called offsides. I, as I believe it to be, the offside rule is you can't make a play on the ball from an offside position. And without touching the ball, I'm not sure how much more of a play Rashford could have made on the ball. Obviously, clearly in an offside position, Casemiro's through ball was meant for him. And Rashford runs along with the ball like two yeah. inches from the ball for the entirety of its duration until it gets to the foot of Bruno Fernandez. Man City players are jogging behind Rashford, like Rashford is going to make a play on the ball. He's blocking Akanji's path to the ball between yeah. him and Bruno Fernandez. I have no idea how the refs didn't think that Rashford made a play on the ball. And I was rooting for United. <laughs> As an Arsenal yep. fan, the United win helped us, and I was absolutely livid that <laughs> yeah, the goal that stood. just so unjust, so unjust. And uh, I'm not looking to do City any favors, but uh, that I, I just I don't see it. I don't know how. Again, it, that is varable, yeah. Yeah, it was VAR, wasn't it? I just yeah, I, I I yeah, I assumed that there was a VAR check. I know that the the center ref went over to the assistant ref and asked, I'm assuming, on the field whether he thought um Marcus Rashford interfered with the play and whether he interfered with the ball or uh any of the surrounding defenders is completely irrelevant because Ederson was playing Marcus Rashford. Yeah. And Marcus Rashford was playing the ball until the last second when Bruno Fernandes took a swing at it. I I don't understand how there could even be an argument the other way. The the I will the other argument is that he didn't touch the ball or he was too far away and you know again it is technically subjective but I can't imagine the other argument and you know 
I don't really sympathize with managers, you know, bitching about calls, but Pep Guardiola's kind of got a case on this one. Yeah, and the thing, again, that is VAR's biggest issue and continues to be their biggest issue is consistency with calls. They say Rashford didn't make a play on the ball. Well, I can think of five different occasions where goals were ruled out because a player was standing in an offside position yeah. and they were deemed to have like stood in the goalkeeper's way of like seeing yeah. the ball. I think of the one um Everton United game at Goodison. Yeah. Where Sigurdsson was literally sitting on the ground in front of De Gea <laughs> and the shot deflected and De Gea was completely rooted to the spot and there's yeah, nothing yeah. he could have done and they said Sigurdsson was in the way. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Again, just no consistency from VAR and that's really all we ask. Yeah. I have nothing more to say about this. It's it's the same old story really. But let's just get into the actual game. <laughs> yeah, anyways. Um a questionable goal from Bruno Fernandez kickstarts the United comeback and the first half of this game uh you really thought we would see more out of Manchester City being the ball dominated, you know, star power team that they are, but again, you've said it so much in recent weeks. When Holland's scoring, you know, you can't stop this team. But when he's not, they just seem rather toothless. Yeah, there were there were points in that first half or City. And mind you, United played well defensively and they didn't allow a ton of space for City. But there were instances where City just didn't look to have that same clinicality that they usually do. The mm-hmm. same... <clears throat> ability to find like the final pass in the final third you see it so often where they're playing along the wings and it's just like a quick one two to like Cancelo or Walker along the byline they square the cross and they score and they just weren't finding those types of passes I remember I remember one counter attack that came through De Bruyne and it was like either like a 3v2 or a 4v2 and De Bruyne picked the wrong pass which you just don't see very often so I don't know what's going on with this city attack, but they just don't seem to be finding their stride in the final third, or at least in the first half. In the second half, they seem to turn things around. They really put United and pin them in their own box, and eventually they got the breakthrough through Jack Grealish. Mm. Yeah, I, I the Jack Grealish, you know, was a a pep adjustment in that. Um, you know, obviously, Guardiola being the fantastic manager he is, changed the game positively for his team. That's kind of what he does. But I just, it, I said it before, just week after week, it's kind of like when Holland's scoring, you're like, well, Chelsea won because Holland scored. Or Chelsea won. City won because Holland scored. And then when City dropped points, you're like, City lost because they couldn't get Holland into the game. It's when you pin so much you know, pressure on one player. Like, the success of your team is basically weighted on whether one guy has a good game or not. It just, it's, it, and if, look, if that guy performs well, if that guy's name is Erling Brown Holland, often it works out for you. But right now, I'm not going to say he's off form because obviously he's just not getting as much service as he normally does. But we, when he goes a game, two games without scoring, it could often result in a bad run. And that's what's so great about Arsenal. We'll get to Arsenal in a second, but Arsenal can get it from a lot of places. If one guy has a bad game, the other guys pick him up. Right now, you know, they're just throwing the Fodens and the Mareses and the Grealishes, just throwing them into the formation with the sole purpose of getting the ball into Erling Holland. And the consistency when it comes to that tactic, it can often leave something to be desired. And Look, I have full faith in Pep Guardiola. If I was a if I were a Man City fan, I would have absolutely full faith in Pep Guardiola. I think he will figure it out for his team. Uh, but right now, I don't think their tactics are as sound as a typical Man City team should be, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. But moving on to United, they're now one point behind title contenders Man City. It's a question on everybody's lips. Are United title contenders now? Yeah. I mean, look, if Arsenal and Man City were flipped, if it was Man, if it was Man City in first on 47, 
Arsenal in 39, then Newcastle in 38, Man U on 38, Man United having a game in hand um, on Newcastle, Arsenal, Man City, United all on 18, Newcastle 19. Um, so if it was Arsenal on 47, on, on, on 39, and Man City on 47, you'd be like, I don't think Man United's in the title race because nobody's catching City. However, um, people, rightly so, because of, you know, how recently they were so poor, uh, are not giving Arsenal the title contention credit that they maybe deserve. Obviously, they're saying they can do it, but they will do it. I don't think there's people are saying that Arsenal will do it. Mm-hmm. So th- the fact that the title at this look, the odds for City to win the t- if if Arsenal and City were flipped, the odds for City to win the title would be like you know one to six, one yeah. to seven. People would be saying Everybody the title, would, the title yeah. race is over if over. City had this lead. Exactly, which they pretty much did last season. <laughs> And it was almost over. But, oh, obviously, they came back and left yeah. the final day. But uh, the fact that Arsenal's squad depth, and I'll try to keep this short because I want to save it for the Arsenal segment, but Arsenal's squad depth is much shallower than City's. The fact that City has that reputation, Arsenal doesn't, means that United are absolutely in the title race. Arsenal can absolutely bring themselves back down to the pack. And right now, Man United are part of the pack. And I guess you could say the same thing about Newcastle because they are in the pack as well. So if United are in the title race, then so are Newcastle, for that matter. Um, but right now, obviously, United are on just ridiculous form. Um, beating the champions at home is nothing to sneeze at, certainly. Um, did they get some help momentum-wise? Perhaps, but, you know... You play this game 100 times, they probably win 60, 65 of them. So, um, very impressed by United, and I don't say that often, <laughs> um, especially uh, in Ten Hag's first 10, 15 games. But he's he's figured something out. The introduction of Casemiro has absolutely yeah. just reinvigorated this team. And, uh, you know, you hear United fans for years calling for <laughs> Fred's head, McTominay's mm. head. They're saying, you know, once we sure up that defensive midfield, you know, who knows what can happen. Guess what? They brought in Casemiro, who showed up the defensive midfield. No more Scotty McSauce. <laughs> and it fuels the entire rest of the, the rest of the attack. Why do you, you know, you look at, as a casual fan, you look at a guy like Sergio Busquets and you're like, this guy is one of the greatest midfielders of all time. He 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 run, he does he never runs. He just stands there and passes the ball all game. Well, if you have a guy that can do that with a hundred percent efficiency and maybe stick in a tackle every once in a while, you got a Champions League winning all time best CDM. And that's what they're getting out of Casemiro right now. People underestimate how important that six is. And when you get an all star in there, an absolute rock star CDM, it can completely change a team. Yeah, absolutely. And you also have to give some credit to the supporting cast. Because if you look at the United defense as of late, Luke Shaw has been phenomenal as a center back. I mean, this yeah. back line, Malasia, Varane, Shaw, and Wambasaka, no Dallow, no Lissandra Martinez, who some people on social media are saying has been should be in the Premier League team of the season so far, yeah. Lissandra Martinez. And Ten Hag has done it with this makeshift defense that is absolutely stepped up and obviously the key guys Bruno Fernandez, Marcus Rashford who's maybe the best player in the Premier League at this very moment. I know we'll talk about Odegaard in a second in that yeah. conversation. But and obviously as you just mentioned Casemiro, but hey, some of the players in this team that are now performing were not performing like this under different managers. So it really is the Ten Hag effect and it couldn't be going better for them at the moment. United, as we said before, sit fourth level with Newcastle on points, way behind on goal difference, but they do have that game at hand. Um, one point behind Man City, playing the same amount of games, all to play for in the Premier League. From a from a casual point of view, I I think I would be excited about this this title race because it it certainly seems like Arsenal are going to cool down at some point. They're just on running very hot at the moment. Um, and we'll get to them in a second, but uh, I think it's going to end up coming down to the wire, and it could be more than two teams. Brighton 3, Liverpool 0. It's getting pretty stinky 
for Liverpool. Uh, this is again when Liverpool have lost. When Liverpool have lost in the past, you've kind of just said unlucky. When Liverpool lose now, you're like they went out there and lost. They they straight lost. They went yeah. to Brighton and they just they got whooped. And there was nobody that understand understood that better than Jurgen Klopp on the sideline, who was just who literally went up and apologized to the Liverpool fans after yeah. the game because he just not in disbelief, but just he fully understands that this Liverpool team right now is just so grossly underperforming. Um, and for a manager as experienced as Jurgen Klopp is as decorated as he is, uh, I defended him earlier in the season. And I'll continue to defend him. I still think he's a great manager, but there's something going on in this locker room, in this, in this team. You never would have thought that the loss of Sadio Mane would just have this ridiculous ripple effect on this team's form. I mean, put a gun to my head preseason, I would have banked on them coming first or second. Now they're life and death to make even, you know, Europa League with the form they're on. So, I don't know. What do you got to say? Yeah, I mean, like you said, Jurgen Klopp was apologizing to Liverpool fans. He himself said this was one of the worst games he's ever managed in his career from one of his own teams but personally i think it was more a case of just how good brighton were they were completely and utterly dominant from start to finish in the first 15 minutes of this game i genuinely don't think liverpool got out of their own half it was just wave after wave of brighton attack they were threatening in both transition and in possession the way they were passing around the ball they they genuinely looked like Arsenal do right now. Yeah. With just how quickly they move the ball and the fact that they just love to attack down the wings with Matoma and Solly Marsh, who are both phenomenal on the day. Uh, Liverpool desperately missed Virgil van Dijk, who's going to be out for Obviously. a couple of weeks. But it clearly showed. Matip and Konate, they weren't that bad when they got into their challenges, but they weren't organized. There were so many times where you could see on the... Um, I mean, Matip gave the ball away, crucially, for the opening goal, which Matoma mm-hmm. squared to Solly March. But on the second goal, it was just such an uneven line. You had yeah. Matip 10 yards in front of Kanate on the defensive line. They got completely opened up. It was a fantastic finish from Solly March. But there just didn't seem to be that organization that Virgil van Dijk usually provides to that Liverpool defense. But again, take nothing away from Brighton yeah. because they were just fantastic. There's Nothing I can really pinpoint, just in every facet of this game. McAllister was controlling the midfield. Solly March and Matoma were having their way on the wings. 3 nothing doesn't flyer them in the slightest. They could have had 4 or 5 in this yeah. one. The midfield for Liverpool was just grossly bad. Yeah, non-existent. In, in defense, they were so unorganized. And obviously, Brighton played very well. But they were giving Brighton all the triangles they wanted in the midfield. They they were never organized, n- no work rate. Like, I know Tiago's had his critics when it comes to, you know, being on the defensive side of the ball in the midfield. Obviously, offensively, he's, you know, unbelievably talented. But, like, where's Jordan Henderson stepping up as, as captain w- with trying to organize this midfield? It's just, and it didn't even, like, slow at some point. If you get, like, they got battered in the first 15 minutes, and it just continued for the next 75. They didn't make any change. Like, Henderson has got to get this team together, especially down one nothing, down 2 nothing. Like, I- I'm not here to question Jordan Henderson. He's been a-, a long-serving captain and a good one for Liverpool, but I'm just a little confused as to where that leadership was on a day like today. You know who you're playing. You know what kind of form you're on. You know that if you just show up and throw your jerseys on the field, Brighton just feast on that. And they just played, like, terribly. And not just terribly, but terribly for the whole entire time. Down to the 90th minute, they were just getting passed through. Oh, my. I was almost secondhand embarrassed for Liverpool fans when it comes to that midfield. Because they were just ripping through it just passing right through it straight through to the forwards getting it straight out to the wings with Matoma and Sully Marsh like it was it was brutal it was hard to watch and I can only imagine how hard it was to watch for Liverpool fans Uh, and again you talk about that defense like yeah they they didn't play well but also they were getting 
peppered by attacks. Mm -hmm. Every 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 single Brighton possession was back to front in 15 seconds, yeah. just like through the uh, through the CDM, switch the field up the up the wing. And obviously, you know, can't give enough credit to Matoma um, for how he's been playing recently, just electrifying on the wing and unplayable right now. Um, yeah, the this Brighton team, credit to the Zerbi as well. They're set up so well. They defend so well. Their press is so good. They Liverpool, which whose press break is, you know, over the last couple of years has been some of the best in the world. Their press break had nothing, and you know, it's you still got Salah in there. Like you still got Henderson, Fabinho, uh, Thiago uh, on the offensive side of the ball is brilliant in press break, and it was nothing. It, they just threw their jerseys on the field and got absolutely whooped. Uh, I don't know where you really go from here. I, I still believe in Jurgen Klopp. I still believe that, that he maybe not dragged them out of this because, you know, 18 games played, you're pretty deep at this point. I don't know if they're really pushing for the title anymore necessarily. Um, but they still have the chance with the talent they have. Obviously, they just brought in Gakpo. Nunez, as much as I have and Twitter has shit on him, he's got dozen goals in him at least left if he wants to put away his chances so this Liverpool team has more than enough talent to push for top four this season but it's really form and mentality right now and they have none of that on any level yeah it's funny you talk about Gakpo because it's easy to forget he made his debut in this game yeah but he he hardly had a touch on the ball I can't recall a good Liverpool chance in this game yeah I I was looking at the stats I think they had like two shots maybe yeah on target yeah. two shots on target yeah nothing from them it was uh it was an attack of oxley chamberlain Salah, and gagpo liverpool a bit handicapped on the front line by injuries still mm -hmm. nonetheless they just have to be better i don't yeah. know if the turnaround comes this season or they just have to figure it out over the summer but changes are desperately needed at liverpool right now Moving on to our final game of the weekend, the final game of the weekend, as it turned out. Uh, Tottenham nil, Arsenal won. Arsenal go eight points clear at the top of the Premier League table after 18 games. And uh, look, not often do North London derbies go exactly how they should go, given like current team and current mm. form. But that's exactly like second for second how this game played out. Arsenal dominated the ball, dominated the chances. Tottenham were threatening on the counterattack and generated chances through their best players. You know, uh, Kulishevsky, Kane, Son, their talent alone brought them chances. But it wasn't their tactics and it wasn't their buildup. And that's for 90 minutes exactly what happened yeah it, honestly it is crazy it went just exactly how form would have predicted <clears throat> i'll just start the whole thing over sure yeah it's crazy like you said how it just went exactly how form would have dictated the game would have gone spurs abysmal in the first half barely showed up arsenal got out to a quick start completely controlled the ball I'm sure nobody could have predicted that Lloris mistake, but... Yeah, he got quite quite the bit of heat on the internet for that one. Yeah, it's an unfortunate one for him, but nonetheless, Arsenal made a quick start and completely dominated the first half. Once again, second half, Spurs come out the blocks looking like a completely different team. Uh, they put Arsenal under a lot of pressure, I think Ramsdale deserves a ton of credit because he made some key saves in this game. Where, again, I always say with a two-goal league, you're just a goal away from, you know, yeah. being in a one-goal game. And Ramsdale mm -hmm. made sure Arsenal never oh, yeah. had to be in a one-goal game. So he had Ramsdale, one of his best performances. Yeah. He was a worthy man of the match. Yeah. And the whole game, I'm like, look, Odegaard has been brilliant. Saka's been good. But Ramsdale's man of the match because he lets one of those go in. And it's a completely different yeah. ball game. You could throw Foreman all that bullshit out the window because you're going to get... 30 minutes of absolute heat from Tottenham Hotspur at home with their fans who were out of it for most of the game because, again, they were losing from the 14th minute um, and getting dominated even after that. So 
the fans they took the fans out of the game nicely um at least for the first half in the second half obviously the chances came a little bit more for uh for spurs but arsenal did what they have done so frequent this, fr- frequently this year came out of the blocks hot maybe not in the first you know five minutes but mm-hmm. grew into the game we're the first team to really generate high scoring opportunities um but yeah tottenham ended up winning on shots on goal like they they generated shots and plenty of them certainly enough shots to to equalize and ramsdale came up huge on a couple of occasions um not just on shots but uh coming out on crosses coming out on corner kicks um punching and all that stuff it's it, it was a teamed performance top to bottom Zinchenko was brilliant party was brilliant Odegaard can't say enough about him I'm not even going to start with Odegaard because I think it goes without saying how brilliant he was on the day um Saka was good Eddie and Ketia like about as much as you can do without getting on the score sheet his it, obviously he had a couple chances one very early in the game um to take the lead but and then one very late in the game to make it three nothing but you know Take away the chances. Obviously, finishing is <laughs> arguably the number one thing you should be doing as a striker. So it's tough to remove that from a performance. But if you can for a second, his buildup was phenomenal. He, they, part of the reason why they were able to play through the wing so well was because they couldn't play through Nketiah. Um, the midfielders always had that option of playing through the lines to Nketiah, who could hold the ball up very well. For a guy that has gotten so much stick, who has <clears throat> sat behind Jesus... <coughs> I'm just, and I personally never liked Nketiah and still don't have real faith in Nketiah, but he had a very, very good performance today or on Sunday. And uh, I will give him his credit where he deserves it. Yeah, I mean, you could praise every player on this Arsenal team. I think an unsung here in this game was Thomas Party. He had uh, an instrumental pass in both of the goals. Yeah. uh, You know, playing Sokin behind on the. Lloris mm-hmm. own goal and playing out of pressure to get once again yeah. get Saka running off along the right wing and I would just want to mention for a second that volley oh my god they hit the post on that would have been goal of the season done and dusted I've never seen uh, a, a ball more <laughs> cleanly hit and I, just I don't believe he almost I don't understand that. how the post didn't yeah. snap in half that was the I've never seen a ball travel so fast in the Premier League I didn't realize that like the terminal velocity of a soccer ball was faster than that. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, um, I was, wa- I was watching the game in the, um, in the official quote unquote official unofficial, uh, Arsenal bar in Copenhagen. Um, cause I had landed the day before. Um, and I got beer spilled on me cause <laughs> everyone was like, Oh my God. <laughs> uh, it unbelievable. That that I thought well, that was one of those balls that just goes like so far into the crowd that mm-hmm. you'll never see it again, and it comes off the post so square, I, unbelievable. If that goes in, it takes the uh, you know the back of the net off. That's goal of the century for me. Like that is the, one of the sweetest strikes you'll ever see. Yeah, twenty twenty Thomas Party puts that out of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it pops the ball honestly on impact. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Well, I, I to, to get into Tottenham Hotspur a little bit. Um. Uh, nothing out of the quote-unquote ordinary for them. Just in a game like this with Antonio Conte tactics, you set up to soak pressure and work through your you know elite players up front on the counterattack. That's what they did. You know, you go down, go down one nothing, go down two nothing. That's you know, not how it's supposed to go for yeah. these tactics. You're really supposed to soak, soak, soak <laughs> at nil-nil and eventually get your goal, go up one nothing, and then, you know, soak more pressure when they try to put the pressure on to get a point, three <clears throat> points. Then you can counter. It's much easier to counter. When you go down one nothing, especially to a team like Arsenal, uh, kind of damning. And it certainly was on the day. Uh, I, 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 I'm not, there's not really too much analysis here. This is just... Tottenham ha- aren't on brilliant form right now. It, they won what four nothing against Crystal Palace and yeah. still played like absolute dog shit for seventy five minutes. Like this is this is the way they've been playing right now. Um, I saw a lot of fans calling for Antonio Conte's head after this one because they just didn't understand. They kind of were fed up with this, you know, Conte bullshit tactics that have really not gotten them very far. 
I think they're honestly overperforming the league with how they performed this year, just uh, on paper. Kane is having a very good season, and that's contributing to the fact that mm. they're still, you know, in the top four running. But uh, some signings, just some rejuvenation. I know they just got Richarlison back, which is very nice for them. Um, but they definitely need some kind of spark, some turnaround, because this is not uh, the this is not a Tottenham team that's playing their best ball at all. Yeah, I mean, the top four is slowly, you know, the gap is widening. They're five points back of Newcastle and United uh, in that top four, currently in fifth place. And if Brighton win their game at hand, which they have on Tottenham, Brighton would go ahead of them on goal difference. So they're just as close to teams above them as the teams below them. So they really have to stay alert and realize that they can't, keep going with these slow starts and expect to get back into games, especially against teams like Arsenal. And they don't have easier games coming up. It's Sydney at the Etihad next week. So, Yep. And again, for Arsenal, it's United at home next week. And we'll, we'll get into our predictions for that, but that is quite the spicy fixture. Yeah. Um, to finish up with some of the scores from around the grounds, starting off with Aston Villa 2, Leeds United one goals coming from Leon Bailey in the third, Emmy Buendia in the 64th, and then you'll never guess it, but Patrick Bamford in the 83rd. Yeah. Round of applause for Patrick Bamford, a known uh, goal picks uh, loser pick. Yeah, honestly, Patrick I thought Bamford. you gave him to me this week. I was, I was kind of excited. <laughs> I think I, I, had to, I, think gave, I gave you Skamaka. You gave me Skamaka. I had to yeah. look back, but. <laughs> Uh, but yes, him, uh, Nwoni, no- and Skamaka, when they mm-hmm. get on the score sheet, it's always a, a nice round of applause from the two-man wall crew because they are often uh, the, the goal pick losers. Um, Wolves won West Ham nil. Uh, nice three points for Wolves. Daniel Podence has been on decent form recently. Um, this this whole team has put in, you know, they haven't gotten ridiculous results, and I don't know, some, like, unbelievable run of form but they're certainly playing better football after sitting in the relegation zone for a decent part of the season um i believe they are sitting now in 16th so on 19 games sitting 16th it's so close at the bottom of the table right now but uh could be worse you could be southampton so yeah Mm -hmm. uh right now if any of the bottom six get three points on any day it's a pretty big deal and wolves certainly got that and got themselves out of the uh bottom Three. Speaking of bottom six teams getting three points, Nottingham Forest two, Leicester City nil. They're no longer bottom six with this three points. Now sitting thirteenth yeah. on twenty. Uh Crazy. leap leapfrogging over Leicester City. That I mean, that's how close it is. Uh, Nottingham Forest were sitting twentieth, and I think we were in, you know, not agreement, but we're just like, wow, that could uh, I, I said they were gonna come twentieth, and you were like, Wow, that was actually a good prediction. You know, a couple matches later, they're sitting 13th, and Southampton is now sitting bottom, and they leapfrogged Leicester City, who are now in 15th. Like, that bottom six is completely up for grabs still. Um, even Southampton, with a change of manager or a, a nice signing, I, I know I said Mislav Orsic would, uh, would get on the score sheet, didn't end up getting on the score sheet. I don't know if he got in the game even. Um, but, yeah, just a... a, a any signing, any, you know, couple runs of form, you know, win-win draw or something like that gets you completely out of the relegation zone for now. So um, all to play for, certainly. And I, and that Southampton win, uh, what's it called? We'll get to that game. Uh, or Southampton win. Yeah. Southampton two, Everton one. Southampton getting three points. Could be worse. You could be Everton, yeah. who sit 19th right now. That's a great 15th, week for Southampton. Be Man City. <laughs> In the Carabao Cup semifinals, now yeah. beating Everton in a key relegation battle. An unbelievably key relegation yeah. battle because Southampton mm. were on 12 and Everton were on 15. Now they both sit on 15, so making that bottom six, uh, bottom three race even closer. Uh, Brentford 2, Bournemouth nil. Nice three points for Brentford. Ivan Tony on the score sheet again with a penalty in the 39th. And then Jensen in the 75th to seal it. Um, you know, Brentford solidly mid-table, put in some good performances, put in some not-so-good performances. This actually puts them up to eighth above Liverpool and Chelsea. Yeah. So, who, who mid-table who? Um, 
But yeah, this Fulham, Brighton, Brentford trio have kind of been the genuine overperformers when it comes to the, those mid-table teams. Um, and right now, they sit all three of them sit above Liverpool and Chelsea, which is just phenomenal. Uh, and last but not least, well, actually not last but not least, uh, second to last, Chelsea won, Crystal Palace nil, a rare three points <laughs> for Chelsea recently, uh, stops their three-game skid, I believe. Uh, but Kai Havertz gets the winner in the 64th, um, three points is three points. And if you're a Chelsea fan, you can't really take any of those for granted at this point of the season. Nope. Um, especially after the run of form they've had. Newcastle won, Fulham nil, another three points for Newcastle against a very, very good opponent this season, a tough opponent this season, um, more very successful home performances for Newcastle. Um, they now sit third on 38 points. They have um, other teams in the top four. All three teams, other teams in the top four have a game in hand on them. But again, sitting relatively comfortably right now in the top four for Newcastle come 19 games into the season. Can't ask for much more than that. And that will round out the around the grounds fixtures. Now we'll move on to some match week 21 content. And if you liked what you saw last week, you're going to want to tune in next week as well. Um, some pretty spicy fixtures coming up next week. We'll start off, however, with our goal picks. And if you're unfamiliar with how goal picks work, it is a season-long competition between me and Ethan. We look at the upcoming fixtures, and we try to see if we can pick three players that we think are going to score in their matches for the next game week. However, the other person, the other competitor will have a chance to block three players so you will have to i can't just pick holland kane and rashford this week because ethan will likely block some what at least one of those players probably two maybe even three because or will he knows that they're on four or will you <laughs> it's a game of reverse psychology and ball knowledge uh that i am losing significantly <laughs> yes and with that we'll do the goal picks update <laughs> uh last week the only goal between our set of picks came from none other than kai havertz who yeah. breathing clown as one of my picks i did pick him yep. because he did have two games last week against fulham and crystal palace and look at that he managed to get one uh, blind squirrel finds a nut right <laughs> apparently uh that brings the season tally for total goals for me to 15 and for breathing still sits on nine long way to go i say it every week but long way to go hey you get home one week score six goals <laughs> can't laugh at that that could definitely happen uh would you like to get into your picks i would so my first pick for this week is going to be miguel almiron um i'm trying to look at the fixtures because i remember he had a pretty good one yeah he's crystal palace away not always the easiest of fixtures but again newcastle on fantastic form almiron hasn't scored in a couple of games in the games before that he couldn't stop scoring so i feel like it's inevitable that he'll get back to his goal scoring ways eventually so almiron's my first pick my second pick is Kevin De Bruyne. Um, again, seems like the quintessential Man City pick since it's very hard to pick Holland these days in goal picks. And <clears throat> Man City actually do have two games this upcoming week against Spurs and then against Wolves on Sunday. And I believe it was last season or the season before. No, I think it was last season where he scored four against Wolves. So, hmm. yeah, it was last season. So maybe he does that again. And then with my third pick, I'm once again going for Matoma because Brighton can't stop scoring. And it seems inevitable that Matoma will get on the score sheet eventually because of just how good he's playing. And Leicester have been abysmal as of late and will yeah. certainly concede a goal or two or five. So <laughs> Matoma is my final pick there. How many can I have? 
You can have all of them. I nice. I put Wilson. I was like literally 50-50 between Almiron and Wilson. But I was like, he'll probably end up going for the striker. But you got me. Uh, I blocked Holland, Watkins, and Callum Wilson. I thought you'd go for the Aston Villa player because I believe they have a pretty favorable matchup. They are yeah, in Southampton. I thought about Watkins. Southampton, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, I'll get into my picks. Um, first off, I'm going to pick uh, Bukayo Saka, who plays at home versus Manchester United. I think that it's been a while. Not a while, but he didn't score in the last game. So, maybe, oh, he more or less scored. He slammed it off of Hugo Lloris. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called bank. I heard but, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think that um, he's getting on the score sheet in this one. Um, at home, to get, at home against United, I think this game could have a lot of goals in it. So, pick it, Saka. Um, I'm also going to pick Kevin De Bruyne. I was going to pull out of the Kevin De Bruyne pick, but I figured, you know, maybe I'll... I mean, you're going to end up blocking him anyway, but uh, maybe I can neutralize one of your players so you don't pull away with Kevin De Bruyne. And then the last one, again, they're playing Wolves, so yeah, decent matchup there. Um, I liked it as well. Um, and the last one is Ivan Tony against Leeds, because Leeds can see a lot of goals. And uh, Tony's scored, he's a penalty kick taker, pretty on form. Uh, the whole season he's been on form. So uh, Tony's always a relatively safe pick if I can get him. So how many can I have? Well, I've been trying to hide my smile behind this mic, which is not good for you because <laughs> you can't have De Bruyne and you okay. can't have Tony. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Tony's matchup was a little too good to leave him off my blocks pick. And I know you love a cheeky De Bruyne pick. So <laughs> for the second time this season, Brayden is getting dirty doubled. <laughs> I suck. I actually <laughs> suck at this. Like I, it's I, there's so many fucking soccer. You you wouldn't believe how many soccer players there are in this <laughs> league to choose from. <laughs> anyway, um, so you can't have De Bruyne and you can't have Tony, but who you can have is no way. Patrick Bamford's going back to back, right? <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah, not gonna give Patrick Bamford. You can have Jordan Ayew against Newcastle, and you can have. Uh, Stuart Armstrong against uh, Villa. Lovely. Uh, but I can have Saka. So. You can have Saka. Haha. Have fun. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay. Let's get this match week 21 prediction. Starting off with City hosting Tottenham Hotspur at the Etihad. What do you got? Yeah. So two teams who are coming into this match. Probably on their worst form of the season. Now, for City, that isn't saying that much. They've only, like, dropped points in, like... Oh, they've dropped points in three of the last five games. So, not the greatest of form. Actually, both of them have only picked up seven points from their last five. But both of them not in good form coming to this match. Both of them proving to sort of be second-half FC a bit. More so Tottenham than City, but... City got off to a slow start against Chelsea, ramped it up in the second half. They did that similarly against United. But obviously, United had that flurry and uh-huh. goals in a three-minute span. So, both of them are not playing their best soccer, but City at home, still with the talent they have, I got to favor them in this game yeah. against Tottenham. I'm going to say 3-1 to City. Yeah, I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna go one nothing city. Um, I, I don't know who's gonna get the goal. It could be Holland, but I honestly think that right now people have been kind of stifling Holland a little bit and kind of understanding that if you overcommit to defending Holland and kind of denying him the ball, and you make him go through other places, look, they're gonna score. Um, they have you know, God knows how much talent they have. They they will score eventually, but. Um, they're definitely it's going to be harder for them, and that's one way to stifle City right now. So I think they're going to get their goal, but I don't think it's going to be Holland. Um, and they definitely won't generate as much as many chances as you think. Also, Tottenham have a very good history against Man City, so this could go completely apeshit. But um, I do think Manchester City will pull it out, especially at home. Uh, Liverpool host Chelsea at Anfield. Yeah. So if 
City and Tottenham are on their worst form of the season. Liverpool and Chelsea are on their worst form of the last five years. Obviously, both of them are mid-table right now, sitting behind the likes of Brentford and Brighton and who else. But Chelsea did finally get back to winning ways against Palace. Uh, Desperately, desperately need a win. And Liverpool looked like a shell of themselves against a Brighton team who were, albeit very good, but nonetheless, Liverpool were hapless. Um, Liverpool do have the edge because they're playing at Anfield, and that is an edge that can never be underestimated. Chelsea do have an edge, though, in the fact that they're playing against a Van Dyke-less Liverpool, but I find it very hard to bet against Liverpool at home against a team who is below them in the table. If it's yeah. you now City Liverpool or when Arsenal have to go to Anfield this season, mm. maybe I'll see it differently. But against this Chelsea team, I just can't put my money on anything but a Liverpool win. So I'm going to say Liverpool 2, Chelsea 0. Liverpool 2, Chelsea 0. Um, this is this this game's got draw written all over it. Uh, they're calling it the Battle of Mid on Twitter. <laughs> uh, it's it's just very funny. It's just you know when an unstoppable, similarly to the Arsenal game, the Arsenal Man United game, two teams who are red hot. Someone's got to lose, right? Someone's got to drop points. Similar to this team, somebody's got to win. Yeah, <laughs> you know, somebody's got to go out there and actually do something. Um, two teams violently off form. Uh, nil nil. <laughs> and last but not least Arsenal host Manchester United what do you got yeah so first of all what a game this looks to be two teams in <clears throat> the absolute peak of form two players yeah. Odegaard and Rashford at their very best to the best in the prem at the moment both have been phenomenal at home, and this time Arsenal will have that edge playing at the Emirates, which will mm. undoubtedly be raucous. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But there is very, very little to separate these two teams. United have been really good defensively. Like you said, Casemiro has been a revelation for them mm. in midfield. Despite how good Arsenal have been, I can't predict them edging United in this one. They very easily could. It's going to be a game of inches, but I couldn't say what the difference will be. I don't think Arsenal will lose. I think they're just too strong at home, and I think even though they struggle a lot against Newcastle, I think just the way Newcastle defend made that game very difficult. It's a different style of defense from United, and they're a bit more penetrable. Uh. So I do think they'll get at least a goal, maybe two, but I'm going to say a 1-1 draw. 1-1 draw. This game this game has a possibility to be game of the year, game of the decade. Like this is this is just a unbelievably tasty fixture. I honestly wish, not wish, but for a neutral perspective that this game was at Manchester United because mm. if it was at United, it could be just like an absolute thriller, like 5-3, some crazy shit. Even how well these teams have been defensively, this game could get stupid very quickly. Um, or it can end up being like a nil-nil, like Newcastle was, where United know how, you know, as hot as they are right now, they know how good Arsenal's been this season, they know that they need to commit themselves defensively in order to stop to stifle them, um, and then hope that they can score their chances on the other end. Doesn't end up happening, nil-nil. That's an option. That, that could happen. Um, Boy, I just what a what a win this would be for us. And I know I say that about a lot of games, yeah. but like this this one would go a long way to convincing folks that this is that this team it's theirs to lose. Um, I I think it's you know thirty three percent at all. Maybe not thirty three percent of a United win, but certainly even odds between a, a draw and an Arsenal win. Whew, I'm going to say 2-2 two, two draw. I just don't I it, I just don't think the football gods are going to give somebody three points on this day. And with that, we will round out our content for this podcast. Another just 
tantalizing match week of football coming up. Um, I'm going back to the same bar I was at for the uh to the for the Tottenham game. It was a raucous environment. I'm sure it'll be just as raucous for this one. Uh, maybe not as raucous as North London Derby. You can't really beat that atmosphere, yeah. but uh, <laughs> certainly uh, an incredible, incredible environment to watch a game. And with that, we will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.